Hi everybody, welcome back to 17 Karat K-Pop. Of course, as per usual, a ton of K-pop news dropped as soon as I dropped the latest Headline Roundup episode, so we have to do another Headline Roundup episode, but this works out okay anyway, because I did want to make sure I reviewed Espa's show too, so you're getting a two-in-one themed episode. First, may recap of what went down at Espa's Sync Hyperline stop on their first world tour in Chicago. Then we have a ton of headlines to catch you up to speed on, so let's just dive right in, Espa time. You can find my full ESPA written review, plus pictures, videos, tons of bonus goodies on 17karatkpop.substack.com. The free post has tons of that, even more bonus images for paying subscribers. So anyway, ESPA updates for this show and in the future, 17karatkpop.substack.com. But I will add on to those thoughts I wrote in the piece about now, and share just some more reflections on the night. Instead of my typical listicle-esque way I usually talk about a concert, this one I feel like will be smoother to just talk about chronologically an annotated track-by-track recap, an annotated version of the setlist with my remarks. The show started with a cool video that basically set the stage to start the show with the narrative about Espa's ongoing music video world involving superhero powers, multiple dimensions, alter egos, the eyes, spelled A-E-S, etc. They kept the lore pretty easy to get and catch on with to more casual fans too. So if you're not super invested in the music video lore, you are not lost watching the videos. However, if you do want to feel more in the loop with the specific references, check out my past ESPA episodes of the show, ESPA short film recap, and ESPA and Kwanya 101 especially, for my full breakdown about this cinematic backstory. So they brought that to life in the intro video, where we saw their eyes, their alter egos, rev up. Their digital counterparts came together. And then during the opening number, Girls, it was the coolest thing. I'm totally not going to use the right tech jargon. I clearly do not sound like I work in this field of AR, VR, whatever. So forgive my lack of terminology here. But they had just the coolest, coolest effects. Not necessarily holograms. It didn't feel like that. It was kind of 4D movie-like. It was beyond 2D animation. The way their alter egos appeared on screen was not like they were on screen. It was like they were on the stage in front of the screen. Like they were dancing with the members. This was more than 2D. This was somewhere between 2D and 4D. It felt holographic, but it wasn't. They felt there. They felt like they were popping off the screen. And making it even cooler, the members were dancing in sync with them. So I don't know if they had like secret motion capture suits or something on under their outfits or what was going on. If they just really were that rehearsed. But it was an incredibly polished, synchronized dance routine to girls. And then at the end when the eyes came back for Black Mamba, which was also an incredible visual effect, that Black Mamba snake really popping out of the screen in a textured way. The members were just so in sync with their virtual selves, and it felt very surreal to watch. As if this performance was not mesmerizing enough, they switched it up with a dance break and Winter's guitar solo, both I did not expect at all. And you must check out my review. This is the last shameless plug for it for now, but you really should check out my review, because these girls know how to pose. Give the camera a look. And no bad angles, but especially I'm proud of the picture I took of Winter during the guitar solo. It came out really clear. Really proud of that one. So incredible, fierce, dramatic opening number. And they stayed in character for energy, which I also got some good shots of. That doesn't count as a shameless plug. That was just me patting myself on the back. 
they were just serving. Savage kept up that story. Then the opening part of the show closed with a very cryptic VCR, a cryptic video interlude we will talk about later. But one part I will say now is worth noting is how cool it was how they brought it to life, what happened in the video. So the story that started in the video of Karina falling asleep then became reality as the smoke covered the stage and like in a lucid dream cloud, like if a movie had a dream sequence, it would look like this. Karina appeared on stage asleep, got up off the floor and did her solo dance to Menagerie like she was in some sort of fever dream. It was such a cool way to translate what happened happened in 2D on screen to the real world. Perfect summation of Espa's group concept. So it was a mesmerizing performance. Truly, I think the strongest in terms of both song quality and just live performance. Dancing, singing, rapping, triple threat power, Karina wins. Her stage presence was off the charts. I need a studio version of Menagerie ASAP. It was spectacular. That song is incredible. And the way it was performed was so unique. So incredibly gripping stage presence. It was smart to have Karina start off both a whole segment of the show and the set of solo stages, period. They started with the best. I do often with my highlight reels, the videos I post embedded in my articles, I try to keep it relatively equal how much time I give to filming different group members because I don't want anyone to read into it, get the wrong idea and think I'm trying to shade one member or whatever. But I must admit I gave Karina more screen time than the others because I did have to record more of Menagerie because it is truly so good. I need a studio cut. Espa seemed to have three main categories of songs, three main messages. We're awesome, you're not as awesome, and look at us, these cool, fierce, superhuman alter egos. So either the songs deep in their music video lore related to their story with the lyrics and stuff about their wild metaverse adventures or their songs like confidence boosting ones or ones that are confidence boosting in a more patronizing to you way. So we're awesome. You're not, and cool superpower songs. The first part of the show was in the dream world, the lore-focused part. The we're awesome, living life sunny part was in the middle, and they kind of went back and forth for the last part. But it was cool because broad strokes-wise, part one was like the dream world, or a different universe, not just the quote-unquote real world, daily life territory, thematically, aesthetically, then back to a surreal landscape at the end. So after Karina's Menagerie, the illusion continued with Illusion, which along with Thirsty is a song you definitely learn to appreciate more after hearing live. It gives it new life, makes you reassess how good it is. Thirsty brought to mind XG's smooth-voiced left-right. That kept up the dream concept with the sense you were in the ocean with them on this aquatic adventure. And the dream quality continued with the lucid dream performance. They sat at asleep, pretending to be asleep. This table, they also stood on top of it at times. They were around a table like they had gotten tired playing a game or something. As colored smoke filled the stage, they really brought to life this hazy quality of lucid dreaming. But then the smoke cleared from the stage, and a castle and floral backdrop was all that remained in terms of visuals to take in as they danced and sang dreams come true, like they exited the state of dreaming, and now it was their reality. So it's a very cool transformation of the stage. 
And even within specific songs, the screen changes were incredible. Like the eye-popping 3D-esque images kept happening, but not just different between songs, but throughout songs. The visual change was mesmerizing. It was like watching a kaleidoscope. After another video break that reinforced the fact we're entering the part of the show focused on just our more relatable, real-world selves, Winter sang her sweet solo, Lips. It's really pretty and just so sweet. I love that they put the lyrics in English on screen so you could follow along. A very, very sweet song, wholesome and about confessing your love to someone even though you're super nervous. It's a super sweet butterflies in your stomach kind of song. And Winter's delicate side of her voice doesn't get to shine as often as it should. I learned after that performance. After that, the others came to the stage in cute preppy outfits for singing a few songs without dancing. So they all showed off their vocal talent, more beautiful textured backgrounds, more songs where I learned to appreciate them more live, like Welcome to My World. Then they showed off a new unreleased song, Don't Blink, and they danced to go with it. Honestly, it wasn't my favorite, so I would be fine if that one gets shelved, but I could see it being a popular B-side. After another video break came Giselle solo, Too Hot For You, my favorite lyric being giving me attitude like a fresh tattoo. It had a lot of funny, sassy lyrics like that. And then came a tropical vibe-filled summery part of the show with Yuppie Yuppie YOLO. The red velvet vibes were so strong for Yuppie Yuppie and YOLO. The stage was red velvet-esque, the aesthetic, the sound. It was so cutesy, so youthful, so summery, so happy. It really filled a missing red velvet live performances shaped void in my soul. I mean, they really are helping be a balm for people missing red velvet. Their show definitely had a lot of the same appeal. The spicy and sweet appeal, if you will. And this part was just sweet. I also really think Ning Ning, I don't know, she really has joy from Red Velvet energy. Her stares, her dance moves, the way she carries herself, her delivery, her mannerisms. I don't know, there's just something about her performing that brings joy to mind. The member joy and literal joy too. This is why it was so exciting when Red Velvet and Espa teamed up for the Christmas song. They should totally team up for a non-Christmas song too. They really are just compatible groups with a ton of fandom overlap, I'm sure. After the OST Hold On Tight was spicy, that's the song I definitely think the crowd went the most nuts for. Curious in your city what it was. For Chicago, the biggest applause for Espa came for spicy. The crowd was like waiting for that. They concluded this tropical part of the show with better things, and then another video break in Ning Ning with the last solo. In my highlight reel, you'll see the strong part of that song is toward the end. It's really unexpected. She starts with like a heavy autotune-focused electronic rap delight, but still very autotuned. But in the bridge, she sort of just cuts that off, belts out these notes. It is just fantastic. Honestly, if I'm ranking, I think objectively ranking the song quality of the Espa solo stages. First is Karina with Menagerie, then Ning Ning with Wake Up, then Winter with Lips, and then Giselle's Too Hot For You, but feel free to argue otherwise. I'm up for a debate about that. They were all very strong. The crowd was beyond psyched for the last part. After Salty and Sweet, which I can confirm, has an instrumental that goes off especially hard live. They had the classics Next Level and Black Mamba. With that dance that 
The chorus to Black Mamba, that dance is just so iconic for a reason. You could tell in the crowd, it was like, oh, they're doing the thing. And people were so excited because that is just such a moment in K-pop. It really has not just grown on people, I think, as the debut song, but I don't know, it represents this big dawn of a new K-pop era, I would say. Like, I know the word iconic is overused these days. No Espa song called iconic, pun intended, but truly it was iconic to watch Black Mamba come to life. Then they left for a few minutes, then it was time for the encore, which was only two songs, Till We Meet Again and I See You. Then they kind of broke character. They were no longer the metaverse entering characters, they were just themselves. Interacting with the crowd, picking up cute stuffed animals, people threw on stage, just being sweet. It started late, and it lasted like maybe 8.10 to 10.25-ish. They packed in so many songs because they did not talk much at all. Out of all the K-pop shows I've been to, they probably talked with the crowd the least. Truly, out of all the shows I've been to. TXT didn't talk much either, though. At that same venue, Rosemont Theater, so maybe a venue curfew is the reason they don't talk much. They just whip through it. I don't know, but that is a big yes and no for me. So on my quick summative list of pros and cons for the night, I didn't put the lack of talking with the crowd as yes or no, because I'm of mixed feelings. I really do like some shows like this, where, like, and Hyphen did this too, they don't talk that much. They go from song to song and keep you immersed in an uninterrupted story with so much visual stimulation on stage, so many just eye-popping things to watch, synchronized performances, the high technology usage, etc. Without a shortage of things to take in visually and auditorily, of course, I was very much okay with not interrupting that busy flow to just chat about small talk stuff. That being said, some of the best K-pop shows I've been to have also been the opposite where, like with Eric Nam, if that counts, they talk a lot and they have this rapport built that brings a funny, you had to be there quality to the show. So I'm of two minds. I kind of love the shows where they just shut up and perform and let me immerse myself fully, uninterrupted in a big grand story they're telling. But part of me also loves when they do build more of a conscious connection with the crowd. And Espa didn't really do that. They focused on their moves. It's one of those shows where if you got VIP or just up close seats, that wasn't worth your money, I would say. I was in the balcony. I had a great view. If I had tried to get up closer, it would not have led me to lock eyes with them and have them take selfies with my phone unless I was one of like five people I saw them do that with at the end. So not the kind of bang for your buck experience if you paid more to get really up close to have your moment with them. But again, I also get that. I'm not mad at them. Some shows work better that way. And this high-concept, ambitious, tech-focused show where you gotta hit all these marks, I could see why they wanted to just get in the zone and stay there. Now, the quick summary of my thumbs-ups and thumbs-downs. Four thumbs-ups, the visual spectacle of it all, which I write about in my piece reviewing the show, just how much the visuals were the standout. It was above and beyond in terms of just taking in visually. The performance quality was so unique to them in the ways they merged the 2D and 4D worlds, just like their story premise is. It was as unique as their music video premise. It felt very meta to watch, like a peek into a possible future of concerts. So the visuals, two is the crowd's attitude and passion. They were a very passionate crowd. 
Three, the set list. I also liked how the solo stages were split up, so that each segment started with a new solo stage, dividing up the show, and I like that explosive choice for an intro, girls, and then concluding with reinforcing the fact, yeah, this is a classic now, a must-hear, Black Mamba. Visuals, the audience, the set list, and the order of it, and then the marketing. I just think it was very smart. At the beginning of the show before it started, you could take a picture of the QR code, a giant QR code blown up on the screen, which took you to a site where you could buy and stream the latest from Espa. That is such a smart way to promote the heck out of a new single. A new crowd every night. Now I just need to convince someone at one of these venues to use a QR code that goes to 17 karat K-pop material. They made use of the captive audience. The thumbs downs are kind of just caveats to the thumbs ups. So the set list was a thumbs up mostly, but I do think a couple songs were misplaced on the set list and would have done more thematically if they had been elsewhere to keep the story in a certain direction. Like I feel like I understood the broad strokes of the different segments of the show, dream world, reality, etc. But then a couple times there was a curveball that doesn't go with that broad categorization and I didn't care for that placement. I really did like the explosive use of technology for especially that opening, but my caveat my thumbs down goes to the lack of dialogue. There was a lot of dramatic walking and posing, and I probably, if I wasn't straight, would really enjoy watching that. I'm sure people who crush on girls really love that, that dramatic posing and walking. Just for the sake of the narrative, I wanted more of that. More dialogue, more happening. And again, I get why they just broadly wanted to nod to their music video story without getting into the weeds of it to stay interesting for the less in-depth, knowledge-wise fans about the lore. But I just feel like it could have helped actually entice more people to check out their story fully if they had added a bit more context. So it felt like a missed opportunity. I also felt like some of the real-world transition videos went on pretty long and were kind of boring. Again, if you just don't want to watch them looking good posing and stuff, it kind of becomes a bore. The crowd was great. The venue staff were not. I've never experienced this before. I love the Rosemont Theater. It's usually just a special good vibe. But whoever was working that night, who I had not seen there before, was so mad at the pre-party. You know how it is at K-pop shows. There's an unofficial block party feel outside. People are playing random dance play. They're trading cards. They're chatting. They bring the music, the fun. It is just really fun and special and not bothering anybody. Except this one lady who really blasted the people who brought music and were dancing. She was like, let's go, let's go, get in line, get in line, get in line, move it, move it. She was not having it. She broke up the dance party, made everyone get in line which wound all the way around the building. So basically, where I parked was where I ended up in line. So after parking, I went to check out the dancers and the block party vibe on one side. And then they pushed us out, so we had to get to the back of the extremely long line instead of waiting to just get in line after doors opened. So then we had to go to the back of a line that went all around the building to the point where I walked back to the car, pretty much, where I started. 
It's like we weren't bothering anybody. It's not like someone was selling drugs or something in the parking lot. It was a typical wholesome K-pop pre-show. Why not just let us stay out of line until the line shortens? What's it to you? But she was so mad. So anyway, I was very disappointed by that because that's a really one-of-a-kind part of K-pop show experiences. So that was frustrating. SMH venue staff killing the vibe. Then my other thumbs down goes to the show inside. Like the lights before the show started, blindingly bright. Really like in my face. It's always a pretty good show though, if my major issues with it are not as much with the show as they are with the venue and stuff out of the group's control. So ultimately I really was impressed. They really just showed that they're professionals at this. They didn't miss a mark. They really left me mesmerized the whole time. They were in sync with every part of the show. So it was just gripping to watch. And as always, I try to keep track of which K-pop groups cannot help it but reference while they're in Chicago, the pizza and the weather. Surprisingly this time, they did not shout out the weather or make a joke about we're so hot even though the weather gets cold. But they did still reference the pizza, so one box they checked off of whatever K-pop group seems to feel obligated to do when they're here. My takeaway is that it was a really good show. There are parts where I think they could have done even more to rope in new fans. But then again, they already had a very ambitious concept to pull off that they will surely work kinks out of with time. So moral of the story, stay in ESPA, because their shows will get only more captivating from here. This is only their first world tour, so this type of cool spectacle will just get cooler. It wouldn't be me if I did not become a tinfoil hat-wearing theorist about the VCRs and Easter eggs. If you want to stay for my theorizing, here goes. In the VCRs, what's most notable to me are a couple of things. Winter's shadow walks up to her separately, like it's a separate entity. Then Winter either wakes up on stage in a dark, empty auditorium, or that's just a new level of dreaming, and she's not awake yet fully, just awake out of one layer of reality. But I find that so notable, not just because of the separate entity shadow, but because other SM Entertainment artists have also been in that dark auditorium where it's empty. It's like a bad dream come to life. I also noted that Giselle seems to sense danger, that something's off, as soon as Winter enters a photo booth. Remember, in the past I told you about how Giselle, her main superhero power, seems to be related to memory and preserving memories. That's why she always does the hand gesture with mimicking taking a picture. So her sensing a disturbance after a photo booth scene seemed apt. And then, of course, when Karina flips over the hourglass to give them more time, then the hourglass falls on the floor and breaks. Now they don't know what's going to happen. What happens when that curveball happens? So they seem stuck in the non-real world. So turning for help at the end of the last cryptic video, they walk toward those doors from Kwanya I've gone on about before. With the light streaming from behind them, they're entering Kwanya officially at the end of their first world tour VCR. Seems super notable to keep that in mind for the future eras. So we'll see where it goes, but note those details for your ongoing theories. I certainly will. Now let's get to topic two today, because there's even more to get into. There's a big update from HYBE. 
You may have noticed that a ton of artists have left Scooter Braun management recently. Longtime clients, Idina Menzel, Ariana Grande, Justin Bieber. Rumors have kind of been all over the place about why. As of recording time, much is still rumors. To me, though, it sounds most plausible that he really is trying to either start something brand new from scratch or just truly get out of the world of management entirely. I do believe those rumors that he feels like his prime is past when it comes to management A-list status. I bring this up now because remember, he has been leading Hybe America, Hybe America's chapter, or so we thought. As of recording time, his status there is a big question mark because for the big press conference, announcing a huge first-of-its-kind project that Hype America is super involved in, Scooter Braun was not present at this big announcement slash press conference. I just found his absence notable. If anything, his schedule opened up pretty widely with all these clients leaving. So it's interesting that he would not prioritize in his schedule this event. Just makes me wonder, hmm, is he really kind of shifting careers entirely? If so, who would be your dream to replace him at Hype America? Who should call the shots? Someone we don't know the name of with experience? Or just someone super fun like John Cena? Let me know what you think. But anyway, so this Hype project is with Geffen Records. They formed a new girl group through a show called the debut Dream Academy. They're in the semifinals now. The group will officially be getting its final members selected through a process on the show. So there were first over 120,000 applicants. They chose a top 20. Viewers and the judges will have input in voting for who out of the 20 makes it to the finals. So Dream Academy is following the last 12 weeks of their journey. These girls ages 14 to 21, they represent over 12 nationalities and countries. This is the first big global girl group of its kind to be trained under the K-pop system. So big global focus. It also sounds like the social media promo strategy for this show and this group is really a key focus. The way they've described their promo is expect a lot of short form content. So maybe like TikTok sneak peeks, YouTube shorts challenges, or things like that. Big global ambition in the docuseries showing this group's final stage of creation will air on Netflix in 2024. If you're wondering, hey, what about the auditions that were supposed to form this group back in 2021? That's the same group. It's been a long process. The past two years, they've been narrowing it down to 20. Now we're seeing who they finally chose. So Hybe's 2021 auditions and this Hybe project, same group of people. Interesting to note that this docuseries was directed by the award-winning Nadia Hallgren. She's worked on a lot of political programs and U.S.-focused documentary stuff. Becoming, the Michelle Obama documentary, She's the Ticket, the docuseries about women running for office, After Maria, that was a short film about displacement due to Hurricane Maria. So pretty heavy projects. So it's an interesting turn for her to be signed on to this one, which the press release promises will be a deep dive into the training world of K-pop. With her working on this project, I do feel like it is more likely than usual that I really will dive deep. That being said, I do not hold my breath for that because if you know anything about K-pop docuseries, they tend to be extremely tame in terms of how far they're willing to go to critique themselves. The autopsy of their industry basically stays pretty mild. Their version of digging deep is pretty surface. 
So I'm hoping this series is not some generic going for your dreams docu-series. I hope for something more unconventional, more hard-hitting, more bold, not formulaic. And I think it could be that, so fingers crossed. Speaking of Hybardis, there are a few Seventeen updates. It's the end of an era. The Seventeen official fan cafe is officially done. Now all of their communication with us is officially moved over to Weavers. But the fan cafe will stay available in an archive form, but the new posts officially are done September 17th. The group confirmed plans for their October comeback. They surpassed over half a million album sales in the first week of their Japanese compilation, Always Yours, coming out. Joshua, DK, and Dino teamed up with New Kids on the Block for a Dirty Dancing remix, beyond exciting and surprising. And June released the full version of Fall in Love. He released a one-minute version in 2021, aging like fine wine two years later. He finally gave us the full version, not just one minute. The fuller version of the song is now on YouTube. As of recording time, that's it. But hopefully streaming platforms take it on very soon. Speaking of June, there's an interesting recent Weavers magazine piece diving into the meaning of his solo work. So after you read my deep dive into his solo work, 17karatkpop.substack.com, do check this one out. It's very interesting. I will link to it on my site. It kind of portrays the evolution of his solo discography. Silent Boarding Gate and Can You Sit By My Side and Crow were very diary style and very much just about him navigating the world. Limbo was a pivot. Limbo and Psycho showed the pivot to an Inception-inspired alternate world where the conventional ways of the world are flipped upside down. So that's why we get Alter Ego June now. Very cool to have that premise confirmed. Crow is about the animal crow and how they're misunderstood and June views himself kind of like one, wrongly judged and maligned, judged by their cover, and lonely, aimless, met with cold stares, unwelcome stares. And June said he views Psycho as kind of a, a counterpart to that song, going from feeling helpless, like the world defines you for you and shames you, to embracing being an outsider, a misfit, and loving yourself first. And that's what Psycho became for him. Like, whatever, call me mad, call me crazy. Crazy. Give me a cold look. I don't care. I got that transformational message of Psycho, the radical nature of his self-love. I did get that theme watching the video, but it was cool to see it confirmed to be part of this more ongoing narrative with the parallel back to Crow. It was also interesting that he confirmed the Psycho backup dancers were all in black while he wore white as kind of this metaphorical representation of him wandering a new world, kind of ostracized very clearly on his own, in uncharted territory. I also found it cool the way he framed it when talking about the difference between working on choreo for himself versus Seventeen songs. And he said his role is kind of like part of a car with Seventeen. So if it malfunctions because of one bad part, the car still has trouble driving. To drive smoothly, every part needs to work together. And every part is essential. I found that a very cool way to put it. And now he's the whole car for his solo stuff. So I found it a good piece for making my admiration for his artistic vision even stronger when I didn't think that was possible. Topic number three, Beijing shows are now very anti-rainbow. 
When you have a concert in Beijing, you have to have your set list and song lyrics approved. And once the approval is confirmed, then you're good to go. So the artist Ame knew in advance that her ASMR World Tour stop would have to kick out Rainbow from the set list because it's a pro-LGBTQ plus song. Attendees were also discouraged in advance from wearing anything rainbow-colored to the show. Zero sign of subtle solidarity was allowed. They couldn't even sneak in a symbol, a reference, which is becoming more of a crackdown than it has before. Because Ami's show there back in 2015 was full of rainbow flags. Rainbow colors, joy, freedom, feeling free. It was bright and happy and beautiful. And now you can't even wear a rainbow print shirt or something. So this was not surprising, but also surprising at the same time. The extent of the crackdown. What was extra surprising for sure was the extent concert staff took issue with what fans wore anyway. There were some real reaches. Like, if you wore a multicolored look, not really called a rainbow look, it was just like colored pants and a different color shirt or something. Anything kind of out there and bright and attention-grabbing was deemed too much and you had to change. They really interpreted rainbow wear broadly. So yes, on site, they handed over black t-shirts to anyone who needed a change of clothes to permissible attire. Now again, this has happened before. Joel and Sai, an ally, at her Ugly Beauty World tour stop there, had to censor some stuff too, had to change up some stuff, omit some stuff from her show too. But again, this level of anti-rainbow paranoia is really sad and strange. Now if you've listened to my show before, you know I'm an ally, and always will be. But even aside from the actual substance, if you just look at surface level, this crackdown, morals aside, truly what is the worry? That if you wear bright colors, you become gay or something? Like, what What do they... It just makes no sense. I know bigotry does not really have logic, but still, it's like... It's mind-boggling. And I also just want to say, even if you're the biggest bigot, don't you think rainbows are pretty, period? They're just pretty. It's fun to wear bright colors. Life is really hard and rough. And if someone wants to make their own joy by wearing something bright, let them. What the heck? Why is this so hard? Making life harder than it has to be. It's sad. I'll keep you posted if this trend continues, which unfortunately, I assume it will, because any dissidents probably will get punished. Main topic number four. The most popular songs of the summer have been confirmed. Not from you guys, but on an upcoming episode, I will confirm what poll answers you guys gave through my newsletter about your picks for best of the summer. But anyway, for the others, the less cool people who don't subscribe, their picks for song of the summer have been confirmed by social networks. TikTok's release of the most popular songs on that app this summer. Their top 10 includes 5050's Cupid, the twin version, and the sped up version. The Thai group Flip is also there for Eyes on You, rough translation. Interestingly, neither of those options broke through in the U.S. this summer. There's no K-pop, C-pop, J-pop, T-pop, whatever for U.S. TikTok in the top 10 this summer. Naturally, though, there is for South Korea's TikTok. The number one most popular song on TikTok this summer being New Jeans' Super Shy. Two is Mae Stevens' If We Ever Broke Up. Three, G-Idol, Queen Card. There's also 50-50, again the Cupid Sped Up twin version, Yoasobi's Idol, Imase's Night Dancer, Dynamic Duo with A-E-A-O, and Jungkook featuring Lotto. Seven, the clean version. Spotify has also revealed the most streamed songs of the summer. 
7 by Jungkook featuring Lado, not on the US top 10, but number 3 on the global list. The US's number 1 was Last Night by Morgan Wallen. Don't worry, like I said, the 17 karat K-pop picks will be better. Anyway, 5050's Cupid is again on the global Spotify list at number 11, so just almost made the cut in the top 10. Main topic number 5, yet another attempt to put on a K-pop festival of sorts that's not K-Con, a different K-Con in a different part of the country, flopped. This show called K-Pop We Stand was set to premiere in Texas and then again in New Jersey. The lineup was going to feature CIX, Dreamcatcher, and One Us. Oddly enough, when they canceled the event, they announced the deadline to get your refund was August 18th, the day of KCON starting. So the promo was definitely lacking, but I also think it's telling and unsurprising. They say it's actually not canceled, it's postponed, and quote, This postponement is driven by our commitment to delivering an exceptional and unforgettable experience. We will be working to bring K-Culture Festivals to a later date with an altered lineup, unquote. The scale of pulling off a KCON type event is way bigger than people realize. Way more planning, logistics, and funding go into it. It's not as easy to put together as people assume it will be. Getting the word out is also incredibly hard. As a podcaster, I know how hard it is to get attention these days. You really gotta try a lot of daring things to make sure people are tuning in. Promo, funding, marketing, it's all an uphill battle these days for any event because there is such a saturation point of K-pop events. And with consumers having a a limit to their spending, well, are you going to spend your money on an event you know for sure has a good rep and long-standing as the A-tier event? Or are you going to take your chances and spend your money on a fledgling project? So if KCON was canceled, this would have been more likely to be a success. Let's now go through a quick rapid-fire round of miscellaneous headlines. IU's The Golden Hour Concert is coming to IMAX, and it will screen worldwide across 38 countries. In Korea, it premieres September 13th. It hits theaters in other countries the 28th and 30th. It's a two-time-only event to watch 25 live songs as part of that special concert. Super Junior members, Don Hae and Unhyuk, they left SM Entertainment with a commitment to still be a part of Super Junior's activities in the future. It's kind of funny, they quickly pivoted. Their contracts expired with SM Entertainment August 31st. September 1st, they announced their own agency that they are now co-CEOs of. It's called Ode Entertainment. CL left Connect Entertainment, Kane Daniels' company, upon that contract expiration. She was jointly managed by them and others. More VMA announcements. Of course, as soon as I finished recording the last episode, TXT's special performance was announced with Anita, special collab premiere stage. They also got a nomination for their Jonas Brothers collab for Song of the Summer, which is a category Jungkook and 5050 are also both nominated in. My prediction is that Blackpink will win their Group of the Year nomination, or New Jeans, because they really skyrocketed this year, or TXT. I don't know, it's a good lineup this year. But for show of the summer, I think Taylor Swift will beat them, beat Blackpink, but we shall see. The newest M Countdown host will be Zero Base One's Sun Hanbin. 50-50 update, August 28th. The Seoul Central District Court officially ruled against the group. They requested that injunction to basically null and void their contracts with Attract, but the agency Attract won out here, 
they basically decided, long story short, 50-50 did not provide enough substantial evidence to prove in a court of law that their contracts had been violated and therefore should be voided. So they can't get out of their contracts, although their lawyers say we will consider appealing. As of recording time, not sure if they will, although given how the last update went, they probably will confirm yes or no the second this episode drops. Now, Attract responded basically with a statement to the effect of, now we're going to turn our attention to a criminal complaint against the heads at the givers, the agency they accuse of trying to help poach 50-50 out of their clutches, basically. In another strange twist, Attract somehow got a new overseas investor in Evergreen Group Holdings. This Singapore-based investment group pledged that they will support Attract with 10 billion won total by the end of September. This group is headed up by David Yon, himself a K-pop star and a lawyer, interestingly, and the person who signed the Memorandum of Understanding with Attract's CEO. You heard it right. So amid a lawsuit, Attract is still seeking investments in a path forward at the same time. A new path forward with someone who they're also in dispute with? It's very confusing. Maybe he just has a I'll-take-what-I-can-get finance-wise attitude. I also find relevant context the fact that Attract CEO previously said he even sold Rolexes and stuff, luxury cars, his luxury goods to fund 5050's super expensive debut. Takes so much money to debut a group. The fact he had the money for the Rolexes and the cars in the first place, that he felt like he had to sell for 50-50, that's another story. <laughs> but he is seeking outsiders to fund his upcoming projects, saying, quote, Attract must now walk towards a positive and proactive future, unquote. He then announced how they plan to do that a few days later, saying that they will launch, Attract will launch, another group, another girl group. They will debut next year through an audition show, and they stress that it will have a viewer's choice focus. He said, quote, I feel responsible to create new content for the investors who have trusted and supported the company, unquote. In my opinion, it seems like he's saying, I have a new pitch for funding. I have to make it work. It's burning a hole in my pocket, and now we have to make use of it. But if he's investing in a new group, I really hope that doesn't mean 50-50 will be treated as this discarded lost cause. I'll keep you posted. Again, developments in this story always seem to drop after I record and publish an episode, so sorry, but that's the latest as of now. Starting October 1st, music streams with the volume on mute slash set to zero will not count towards Melon Chart streams. So they're trying to crack down on people who basically just want to boost their fave by putting a song on loop on mute for hours on end by saying if it's on mute, it doesn't count toward the official stream count. I'm of two minds of that, honestly, but feel free to share your thoughts with me. Maybe I'll make that the question of the day, what you think about that new change. It does cast in a bad, desperate light the actions of just passionate fans, and that's disappointing. But at the same time, it does help make it fairer and more accurate of a picture of what songs are really more popular. That shows the quantity of people streaming maybe more than the quantity of streams by a smaller group. For the sake of actual just ranking fairness, this is a good thing I would say. In terms of fandom activity and grit, it's kind of disappointing to see that be dismissed in this way. Girl group fans, get ready for September 6th. New Jeans has a new Rolling Stone zine out. And Espa is on Good Morning America. Meanwhile, IVE member Jane Wanyan now wraps the beauty brand Amuse. 
SM Entertainment is really rolling out the red carpet for their new boy group, Rise, R-I-I-Z-E. They already have a deal with a cosmetics brand, UIQ. Their debut, Get a Guitar, surpassed 1 million stock pre-orders. And they are signed to RCA Records for USA representation. So in the US, they're AT's label mates. Speaking of SM Entertainment artists, Junwoo from NCT now reps the brand Todd's. Suga has a new NBA apparel collab. The Everglow member Solo joined Instagram. Got7 surprise announced a new lightstick design. Kiss of Life have a Soul Fashion Week performance gig. Hwasa joined TikTok. New girl group Illit also joined social media. Lucemble announced a fandom name, which honestly I'm quite upset about because every Luna subunit I just want to stay the orbits. We are all orbits together. But they added their own for their subunit. It's Clue C.L.O.O., which also kind of sounds like crew the way they say it. I will always be an orbit. First and foremost, I just... Sorry, don't like this. It's like the Weizen-y, wavy subunit name. Not a fan of that, just call us in citizens. And at least three members so far of Zero Base One recently got COVID. Lastly, your action item of the day for my U.S. audience... There's a really great new resource I found where you can keep tabs on what's on the ballot in our next election when it comes to state Supreme Courts, an underappreciated in terms of impact type of election. So to learn more and keep tabs on that stuff, follow Bolts Magazine's work. They do a lot getting into the nuts and bolts of politics in the U.S. to keep you updated. So boltsmag.org backslash what's dash on dash the dash ballot backslash state dash supreme dash courts backslash. So basically boltsmag.org backslash and then a bunch of dashes to say what's on the ballot slash state supreme courts. Go check out that valuable resource and stay informed. That is all for today. Thank you all for tuning in and I will talk to you all again very soon. Bye everybody.